Investing can be an exciting time, whether it be on the stock market or with property. When you first start, you look to see how the market is going, which shares or suburbs are booming, which ones are crashing, who's buying what. Cry when it all takes a big tumble and celebrate when the dollars come in. Today we talk to a former investment banker, now real estate agent, about the good, the bad and the ugly of investing. Welcome to Real Estate Right, where we talk to top experts on how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your hosts are Grant Kennedy and Sue Langida. Uh, we are super thankful for all our listeners who subscribe and follow us. Pete from Patterson Lakes, Neil from Scoresby, Rachel from McKinnon, Cherie from Black Rock, Keenan uh, from the island, Rob from Chelsea, Mark from Cranbourne, get a special mention for their comments and so many others. Thank you. Um, thank you for letting us know that this is a necessary podcast for those learning about the real estate industry before they dive right into it. We'd really love it if all those that haven't paid their mark yet, let us know You know that you love us by rating us or reviewing us on iTunes or your favourite podcast uh, and subscribing to Real Estate Right. Yeah, or you can alternatively you know say hi on facebook and our instagram pages and um, share our posts and that kind of thing and thanks a lot for being on board the uh, real estate right train tell your friends family everyone that uh, you're on a good thing so thank you very much yeah we yeah we're pretty happy that we've got lots of people you know coming on board so there that's it's a slow process but we're getting there aren't we grant certainly are it's coming along well so yeah it's good yeah, definitely. Well, I've listened to a few of them, so they, they are really down to earth, and that's really what it's all about. That was Lawrence. Lawrence has had decades of experience and expert knowledge in valuations, wealth creation, and lending portfolios, and has worked across the globe in New York, Sydney, and Melbourne, working for companies like JP Morgan Chase, Westpac, Bank of Melbourne, and Citibank. He recently became a real estate agent in St Kilda East, utilising his skills in financial portfolios to assist his clients in building their property portfolio. Passionate about all things that build wealth creation, Lawrence is here to tell us about the difference between the property market and the stock market. Welcome, Lawrence. Yay. Hey, Sue. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Greg. How are you going? Lawrence, you're, uh, you're obviously love helping people make a dollar. What uh, sort of got you into the industry? Well, it's just that, that you say, love people helping to make a dollar. So when I look at things, it's about wealth creation. Um, whether I'm a banker or whether I'm talking to people about real estate, it is about what you need to do and the asset accumulation that you need to have to really build your wealth for what we all want to do in the end of the day is to retire and have a lovely life to be able to, you know, enjoy, enjoy oneself. Um, the real estate industry is something that um, I have been involved in, in from a lending point of view, from a valuation point of view, from a decision point of view as a banker. And now to be able to be at the coalface of the people that are um, have come to me for lending to actually talk to them at the at the forefront of what where to buy, what to buy, what's the type of thing that they can buy, um, has led me to trying to come into the industry, and and I'm enjoying it tremendously. Yeah, amazing, awesome. Okay, so getting straight into it, what's the number one rule when it comes to investing? So I believe that there's a lot of number one rules, if you have to put it that way. And it really depends on who the number one rule is being applied to. So 
So your number one rule is going to be very different than mine or grants or somebody that's just been starting off or someone that's towards, towards the end of retirement. So that's why you need to look at where you are in your life creation cycle for wealth. Um, and when I started to talk to people from a wealth creation point of view, if you think about it, the two numbers I would always ask them is, you know, how long is it going to be before you want to retire? So what's the number of years? And when you get to retirement, what is the number you want to retire on? Meaning how much do you want to make every year? And those numbers are different depending on people's attitudes and views of the world. And so that's why it's difficult to say what's the number one rule for investment. If I had to pick up one rule, I would, I would sit down and say, talk to somebody that knows about these different things so that you're getting advice to help you along the way. Because, you know, we're not, if we were going to be investment advisors, that's what we'd be getting paid for. And as, as people that are lay people, we, we're enjoying um, the expertise that other people bring to the table. Yes, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, you know, we all have different paths of, on our lives that we want to go on. It depends. It really does depend on and what, how you get caught up, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, for, and it's all about what is the passive income that you're going to be getting in retirement. And, you know, some people have lived their life and they travel the world while they're living their life, yeah. their working life, they're traveling the world. And so when they get to retirement, they want to sit home, enjoy their house, enjoy their family, enjoy whatever's around them. And therefore, they don't need the expense base that they would have to have to be able to go traveling. But there are other people that want to just work hard, work hard, and they want to maybe retire early. So they need a bigger number to be able to um, retire early on. You know, then you have to overlay, well, what's the tax treatment of all these things? You know, in terms of because everybody has to pay their share to the government. So what's the tax treatment on your investments that you're going to, whether it is property or whether it is um, a stock portfolio? Or, or whatever that investment in, there's a tax treatment for that whole thing. And each of, the, each of these investment vehicles or asset classes, as you would call it in the banking industry, because property is yes. an asset class and shares is an asset class, have different things to talk about. So that's why it's important to understand where you are at in your yes. investment cycle. Definitely. Let's dig in a little bit deeper here. Sure. Um, what would you say are the advantages of investing in property over other asset classes? So, I mean, as, uh, as Sue told you, I'm, a, I'm an American originally, a New Yorker by birth. Um, and when I came to Australia, the most prevalent thing I learned was property is king here. It is uh, a thing you can touch. It is the center of people's lives as a home. Um, but importantly, it is the way that the Australian system works and how we can do things in Australia, the banking um, view of the world, if you will. It becomes your anchor point to build wealth on because you can use it and you can use equity within it. So when you're looking at property as an investment, it really um, you, you're investing in your home. People don't look at a home as an investment in as, a, as an investment because it's a home that you're going to live in. But it is your anchor investment point to be able to build the wealth that you want to that you want to go on yeah. to. Um, if you compare that to the st- some of the issues, and I think we, it's, it's important to understand some of the issues about buying a property is the barriers to entry into that, meaning taxes, your deposit, the borrowing that you had to have. So you could have some cash um, to be able to invest in a property, but it might not be enough to invest in a property that you want, in the suburb that you want to it. 
So there are um, the cost to entry is is quite expensive and be quite expensive. Yeah, fair enough. Alternatively, uh, you know, investing in the what's good about investing in the stock market and that side of things as well. Sure, and in the stock, I mean, the stock market. Let's put aside let's put aside some of the riskiness of it or people's perceived riskiness of it. Um, the good thing about it can be you have, if you have $1,000 or you have $100, you can invest in the stock market. Um, the cost to energy to do it is easy. Um, the ongoing costs for it are, are, are pretty minimal in terms of, um, you know, buying new stocks or buying, you know, new opportunities in there. So you don't have all of those, um, you know, hurdles that you might have to jump through to be able to buy a property. Um, and the stock market and the share market, um, sorry, the share market and the property market from a return point of view, that's when you start getting into the more, you know, technical aspects of why you might want to invest in, in, in property versus mm -hmm. stock as an asset class. And then you have to look at, well, what are the different, um, you know, uh, asset within that asset class? What are the different things you want to do within that asset class? Because it all actually goes down into, you know, how your investment strategy will work and what you want to get out of that investment. My 18 year old son, you'd recommend to him, buy some stocks, buy some, you know, put 500 bucks or something like that, see how it grows. And then hopefully in five years or so, you may have enough money to put towards that deposit as an early investment. Would that be a good idea? Yeah. First, I think, I think that when, if I'm talking to your 18-year-old son who has a job and has an income flow, I would first ask to him to understand what's his um, disposable or discretionary spend and investment that he could have at the end of paying all his bills, right? In order of, because every wealth creation and managing people from, you know, being 18 years old, I think as, as, as the top of the program, I, I've mentioned that I like helping people make money. Yes. Very different helping an 18 year old make money than it is helping someone that's been in the, in, in, you know, in the, in the workforce for 20 years and has a lot of money. Yes. And to be honest, I've, I've managed both sides of the equation and it's much more fun helping people grow to, um, you know, to become a substantial person in their own right and have yeah. substantial means than it is actually stepping in and managing a private banking customer who has a lot of money and there's a lot of people jumping at the bit to try to get their business, right? Yeah. So people that are growing into it, it's much more fun to be able to help. You need to understand what's your, your attitude, your mental fortitude, those things about if a stock market crash, would you, would you panic and go crazy or would you understand that we can ride the, you can ride the thing out? Yeah. And each of these, and so there are definitely different asset classes. Property is one, stock shares is another, yeah. you know, investing in term deposits is another. And all of these carry risk with them. And it's that risk profile that comes out of the series of questions that you answer that helps you guard where your money should go yeah. to, right? So that's kind of how a wealth creator and a relationship manager in, in, in the banking world would help you grow your wealth and help you decide what's better for you, whether it's property or whether it's... Um, whether it's shares. Yeah. I, I mean, if uh, just to pick up your thing on your, on your son, if you, if you had an 18 year old son, I would tell him if he had $500 and he wanted to and put it in, put it in a share market, I would buy a, um, a blend of, uh, you know, like a, 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 not a, not a specific stock, yes. but I would buy something that's tied to like an indice, you know, like the ASX yes. is an indice in the, in the stock market. 
and just let it sit there and forget about it. Yeah. And therefore in five years time or in 10 years time, when he's 28 years, when he's 28 years old and he's ready to buy his house, he could use that as his thing. But I would just put it there. I wouldn't tie it to a particular stock yeah. or a particular anything. I would tie it to the indice that when you see the ASX yes. or you see the S&P, those are indices that are giving um, an indication of where particular segments are going. When you, you can buy, you can buy something that that ties it to that. It's not a particular stock in itself. Yeah. And that's how I would advise someone little and someone young, up and coming, that's that has a little bit of money yeah. to help them save for themselves. Yeah. Right. Does it make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Um. So in saying that, like, if a stock market does crash, does it crash to the point of zero point zero zero zero? Can you can you get it? Can you have a negative in your stock? Though, is that what you mean? Yeah. It's gone down to completely that the, obviously the business is no longer trading essentially. Well, then a business, well, that talks about going into receivership and all that other stuff, but you know, stock, yeah. there are stocks that, that trade at zero. I mean, uh, you know, particularly some of these specky spec, yeah. spec stocks, you know, penny stocks people talk about where, you know, you, you're buying yeah. it, they might have a big spike, but they can go down to zero. And you're losing, you're losing all your money. But when we're talking about the stock market, so to speak, you know, you're not going to, yeah. you know, if the stock market went down to 0.00, you know, there's a, there's a problem in the world, right? So that's not, that's not really going to happen. Yeah. The most you can lose is the money yeah. that you put into it. That's the one thing that you have to recognize, right? Yeah. So if you're only putting $500 in, you're only ever going to lose 500 bucks. Correct. You're yeah. correct. But you could make tens of thousands. You could make tens of thousands, correct. That's right. Yeah. But in a proper in the property market, so if you try to take this correlation to what you just said and yeah. put it in the property market, there that's where that's where the, the kind of the difference can be. In the property market, you could buy something for five hundred thousand dollars. So now you you buy something five hundred thousand dollars. You borrowed eighty percent to 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 buy that property. That prop now you have a loan of you know eighty percent of five hundred thousand dollars. The property market could go down below what that loan is about. Now you're in a negative position. So there's the difference in what you're what you're talking about in those two in those two aspects okay. of things. Okay, does that make sense? What you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, definitely. Right. And it and it puts it into perspective. I think correct the fact that you could actually if you've got a loan you could lose correct correct with the property with the share market you'll only lose what you've put in what you've correct yeah exactly. I mean you lose your gains but you know that you had but in terms of loss out of your pocket money yes. out of your pocket that's not in there. Now, again, the interesting thing about this is all of this is paper. Even, even losing money in the, you know, a, a property going below what you paid for it, it's all paper. It's all on paper. It's all in your P&L, uh, whatever, however terminology you want to use. Get those costs come to you and affect you when in a technical term for it is called crystallizing your losses. So, you're only going to lose $500 in the stock market if you decide to cash in that stock, right? That's the only you're going to lose it. You're only yeah. going to lose the money that you have in your property if, if you need to go sell your property. And that's where the concept of things like liquidity comes into. How easy it is to get the money that you put into it from one investment class versus another investment class. And that leads to some of the differences and why you might make a decision on looking at your overall portfolio and talk about how much of it is liquid and how much of it is illiquid. Property is an asset class that is illiquid because you can sell your property tomorrow. You, I mean, even if you have an investor walk in off the street and pay you a million bucks, you still need to go, you still need to go to a settlement or the whole thing. There's still, you can't get yeah. the money tomorrow. Where in the stock, yeah. in, in, the, in the share market, 
generally you can click out in three days. There's usually a three-day turn. Some, some are, 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 are one day. It depends on the stock itself, but that liquidity is there, right? And, and you're never yeah. going to lose money until you crystallize it. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a listener question here. Um, his name's Steve from Camberfield, and he's weighing up whether to put it where he should put his money. Um, and he would like to know what are the ongoing costs associated with buying property and, and buying shares? Yeah, sure. So starting with property. Yeah. When you're looking at a property, you, number one, need to look at the cost of entry. So that's the cost of entry is number one, the borrowing that you're going to do against it and the bank or, or financing you get against that. So most banks, let's take it on a on general basis, will ask you to have 80% of your, um, of your property value before they'll give you a loan. And most of that times banks are looking at having 10% genuine funds. So what 10% genuine funds are, will be something like having savings in your bank account and showing that you've had it for two, five, whatever the number of years they want to look at it. And it didn't come from a gift that you got from, um, you know, from a family member or things like that. You then have stamp duty. So stamp duty can be quite expensive. And again, it depends on whether it's your first property, whether it's your second property, the type of thing that the stamp duty is going to cost. Yeah. And if I go back to Steve, you need to know a little bit more about his situation around, you know, does he have to pay stamp duty? Is it his first home? Is it a, ho- is it a home or is it an investment property? It's those types of things you have to look at. But really it's the deposit, the cost of the, the, the stamp duty and whatever fees and charges, you know, you have legal fees in terms of settling up on a, on a property. So you're looking at, um, stamp duty is about 6%. Legal fees, you probably calculate uh, on overall, about two percent, yeah. I would, I, w- I would think, um, is a good, is a safe number to put. I, I would put two percent against fees, whether it's legal or whether it's other types of fees that you're going to pay, broker fees, that type of thing. Make sense? Yep. Yep. Okay. On a share market, it's not. I mean, taking aside the advice that you might have to pay for, and it's important to pay for advice, but. To get in, like we were talking about Sue's 18-year-old, 18-year-old son, if she, he wanted to buy $500 in Telstra stock, he could simply sign up for well, you know, on, an online investing account with NAB or CBA or MeBank or some of these you know, online banks these days. Yeah. And he can simply you know, buy the stock and pay what's, what's called a broking fee or, or transaction fee. There can yes. be $0.25, cents, $25. Yeah. I mean, it depends yeah. on the type of stuff you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So obviously it's cheaper to get into the share market than it is to get into the property market. So yes. Yeah. And, and again, it, some of that is representative in the liquidity. Yeah. Liquidity is a, is, a, is, a, is a banking word, but it is a good word because yeah. it really talks about, you know, how quickly you can get access to your money, whether it's profit or whether you want to get out. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really what liquidity is about. Yeah. So if you want to get out of the property market, you have to advertise. There's a program to go to. If you declare an auction, you have to have it on the market for six weeks. You know, there are certain rules yeah. that you have to follow based on how the government regulates that market. In stock, it's a, there's, some of those things are not, are not as prevalent in terms of what you, you know, you, you, your son bought $500. He yeah. wanted to go to the prom and had a hot date and, you want, and, you need, and there was $2,000 in it and you didn't want to lend him the money. So he could go and get his money back straight away, probably in three weeks. He could. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Don't tell them that. No, okay, sorry. 
<laughs> okay, so what type of returns should could we be expecting on a percentage basis with both property and shares? So this is the and this is a question I was looking forward to answering because when you're looking at in any investment, everybody talks about ROI or return on investment. So what should you get? So if we talked about it just as a share market as an asset class and the property market as an asset class, then you know, you're looking at over the long haul, if you look for 30 years or 40 years, you know, the share market is always going to out, you know, will, would have outshined the property. Yeah. The, um, but why people resonate to property is the share market, you see every day in your face what it's doing. So if it had a big spike or it had a big thing, you're there and you get wrapped up into, oh my God, it's happening this or, oh my God, I got this and everything. Because every day you can see it on the news. But you don't see your property valued every single day. If you had a property in Craigieburn or if you had a property in St. Kilderese, there's no indice that you can go every day and say, oh, my property is worth this amount today. To the penny, actually, where you do shares. If you did have that, the property market would be the similar thing. You know, you would see you have a similar reaction to people. So that's why some people feel that the property market is safer because they can touch it. Even if it's an investment property that you're living in it, you can drive by it and see it every day or see whether the tenants are doing the right thing for you, that type of thing. So it's, some of it is, is driven by the comfort you get by having brick and mortar, so to speak, where the stock market is you know, you're taking a little bit of a share in a company that you don't know what they're doing in the back end because there's a lot of stuff going on to it, right? So that's the overall nature of those two asset classes. Um, and one other thing is you don't actually need to own a property to invest in the property market. You can actually invest in the property market by, by buying yes. shares in, a, in an overall yeah. real estate portfolio that someone has on there. So you, there's a way to invest in the property market and, and not have to have all those costs that we talked about, not yeah. having the brick and mortar. But you have to then look at, and this is, both, this is for both asset classes, you have to look at whether it's a capital growth return or whether it's a, you know, income generation or, or income flow yeah. return, right? So, and when you look at these overall returns, that includes both. And yeah. both the property market and the share market has aspects of both of those. So in the property market, your capital growth is going to be, you buy your property $500,000 in five years time, you sell it for... $800,000, or if you did it right, you might sell it for $1.5 million. You know, yeah. it depends on how you got in. That's yeah. your capital growth. Yeah. Your rental that you get on the property for the tenants, presuming it's an investment property now, yes. is going to give you a rental return year on year. And that rental return is calculated using your things like your outgoings, what's your taxes yeah. you had to pay for the property, What's the um, property management fees you have to pay for your property? Um, mm -hmm. What are your you know, costs in terms of maintenance and repairs? So mm -hmm. that's the income flow. And truly the decisions that you're making on any, on, on the purchase within the asset class is really going to drive, be dependent on what are you looking for? If you're looking for capital growth, you might go in one suburb or you got, might go in one stock right? Because yes. they will have capital growth, but you may not have a lot of income return for those, meaning the rental return that you get on the property may yes. not be as high as you want. Yes. When you look at a rental return on a monthly basis or a yearly basis, 
you're probably looking at somewhere between two and 4% as a good choice of investment when you're taking out, taking out that, you know, all the ongoings that are happening, your taxes, the property management fees that happen on a, on a, you know, kind of ongoing on an ongoing basis. When you look at share market, the corollary to that is what is the dividend that you get paid by the stock? Yeah. As they declare their dividends, some companies pay their dividends quarterly. Some companies pay their dividends um, monthly, some yearly. Some don't pay dividends. If you need income flow, then you want to go where the income flow is going to be, and you might forgive or or put off the capital growth. But if you don't need the income flow, then you would look for well, where am I going to do and take um, an investment in that I'm going to get the return down the track. And that's those are the types of things that on a very general basis that you'd be looking for, or you should know about when you're asking and having an informed decision. Okay. So, um, Lawrence, one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, the strategy of leverage and, and the fact that, you know, it's generally accepted that you can leverage in a property, you know, the borrowing rates are lower and you can, you know, have a higher loan to value ratio with property than you generally can with shares. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Absolutely, Grant. And um, I feel like I'm back in uh, in my banker days now to talk about to talk about this. So um, I'll, 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 I'll I'll try not to do banker speak, but I definitely want to do real estate speak. How's that? Uh, <laughs> um, so the concept you're talking about, or leverage. So this goes back to wealth creation, right? And and my comment before about property being king here in Australia. Yeah. And the reason why. It is, aside from, again, the emotional things that we ended off with, with the last little bit that we were talking about in terms of owning a property and having a roof over your head and it being a pride for you and being able to have it in the suburb and all that stuff that's emotional. It is your anchor point to build wealth for yourself, whether you're 18 years old and you want to do it or whether it's a family. And because in the Australian way of doing things, we can use equity in our property to actually fund all the other investments we need to make to actually get that passive income that's going to help you get to retirement and get to the number that you need in retirement. Yeah. Because in order to invest, you need money. That's what we talked about before in terms of a return on your investment. A return on your investment is you put money in, you want to expect something for it. Yeah. Whether it's an interest to come back, and that would be the kind of cash flow that I talked about, or whether it's a capital growth. So this leverage thing that you're talking about, in most you know, uh, ways, we think property is the only way we can leverage, but you can do it as a stock, so you can do stocks as well. But let's talk about properties. The way that you look at a property in terms of the debt that you have, because most of us, let's face it, can't just buy a property for cash, right? Yeah. We can't do that. We're struggling, you know, we work hard to gain the cost of entry, what we talked about, the deposit, the actual stamp duty, any of the ongoing costs, we work hard, hard, hard to get that. And then we buy the property. And then that property gains equity by us doing two, one or two things. The property can go up in value because yeah. you bought it at the right time and you bought it up in value. So there's equity is growing from that way. Or the property gains equity by you pumping as much money into the property as you can in terms of any dollars that you got to bring the actual debt down, right? So that gives equity as well. Yeah. But 
some people use that as safety because now I don't own, now I own my property and I don't owe any bills. Yeah. But the bottom line is that there's a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of capital, a whole bunch of resource that you have at your disposal to use in the Australian banking system to be able to withdraw that to actually now invest in other investments yeah. to gain more income because let's face it you're not making an income unless you're charging your kids a bit of rent or something like yeah. that you're not making an income for the for the for the property that you have yeah so you need to make income and we make income we make active income by working every day yeah. but passive income is what really makes you wealthy yeah not your active there's also a, a concept in in banking called recycling debt right so recycling debt means paying down bad debt and creating good debt. Yeah. So um, again, banking terms, but let's talk about it in the real terms. So you have a mortgage over your property. If you can pay that down and then redraw it, it really is, if you're talking to the right advisors, it really is about those features being able to help you build your wealth off the back of your equity that you have in your property. Yeah. And the recycling of that means paying down that bad debt. And why it's bad debt? It's because that debt isn't doing anything for you in terms of creating wealth or generating income. And here's the other thing, giving you a tax advantage because in the Australian tax environment, you're, you can't claim any, any, any tax advantages or, or I'll use the word negative gearing because it was a, a pivotal word in our, you know, our, our recent elections, right? And negative gearing is an, an important concept in the way you build wealth because as you recycle debt, if you take debt that's bad debt that you can't use to, for, tax, for tax purposes and put it into debt that you can, that's good debt, by recycling that, it's actually helping you pay off your bad debt. Yeah. Because if you had a tax advantage, simply, uh, simply put, if you had a tax advantage on the debt, on the good debt that you had, and you took that tax advantage and every year invested it and put it back into your bad debt, you're paying down your bad debt quicker, which means you have more availability at you to create good debt, to be able to then invest and be able to get more income flow, more in return on your investment. Definitely. When you take that concept over to the share market or the asset class of shares, you can leverage in shares. There's no, there's not a problem. You can do it. It's called margin lending. And that means you look at your share portfolio, you then take a margin of that and banks will lend you on that. So you can yeah. leverage in both sides. One is much more risky than the other. Margin lending, uh, um, any good advisor is only going to do it to a more sophisticated investor protecting people's money because that's what it's all about. Because mm. at the end of the day, yeah. it's all about how are we all going to live in retirement and are we going to be able to self-fund our retirement? That's right. One thing I also want to convey is just the fact that Say you have $50,000 and you're investing in shares. So you're getting your returns on that $50,000 um, and that's so you get a 10% return. Then you have, after that one year, that would be uh, $55,000 uh, all right. up. Um, and then also when you're looking at property, you could... With your fifty thousand dollars, you might be able to borrow a five hundred thousand dollars house, for for example. So, if if property and shares were both going to go up by that ten percent for that year, your ten percent uh, return on five hundred thousand dollars would be fifty thousand dollars in that example, whereas in shares it would be only five thousand dollars. 
So that's also one aspect in terms of leveraging borrowing um, it's a, a it's, property. It's, the, it's, it's the things of math. I mean, it's the principle that you're taking the 10% yeah. on that you're, get, that you're talking about, right? You're, getting, yeah. you're having a business, yeah. bigger asset right. base. So there's quite a big difference in, in that sense of being able to leverage um, $50,000, for instance, in property versus shares Correct. as well. So that's a, a different aspect of, of leverage as well to consider. But remember, but, mm. but remember you also have to purchase the, you know, the, 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 the original asset to get the return on, right? So what's the cost of purchasing you've also, that, right? You've also spent so much on interest, haven't you? Correct. So that $50,000 may you know, you'd be $24,000 now rather Correct. Because yeah, that's right. Apply- yeah. It's, I mean, it's not, kind of, not as cut and dry as 50000 no. versus 5000 No, because remember, um, if, you, if you own 50... The power of the leverage. It is the power of the leverage. But if you own $50,000 in stock, you own those stocks, right? I mean, you, you own them. There's $50,000. Yeah. In a property, if you own a $500,000 property, you have a loan against that. You most likely have a loan against that, right? So that's... I mean, yeah. so it's the, you know, all the, the situation itself which is what Sue was saying, you know, you might, you might have that, but there's an interest of that coming through. So you have to look at what the net return is versus the gross return is. That's really goes into a little bit more of account, the accounting yeah. side of things, right? Yeah, no, I, I just purely wanted to um, put that into yeah. the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So, uh, yeah, obviously you hear about investors having big falls and also – uh, big wins when it comes to the share market. Why is it good not to have all your eggs in one basket? So, so let, let me take this from a kind of a top level thing. So the difference between in this question here is if you're an investor getting the right advice, having the right opportunities and, 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 and understanding where your investment as an investor, this big up and big down will probably not be affected or affect you in certain ways. And what I, the point I'm trying to make is that these stories that you hear about things like, oh, I made a big killing in the market or I made a big loss in the market, that's not a terminology. I wouldn't use investor as a terminology. That's a trader, a trader that's actually looking for volatility in the market yeah. to be able to capitalize on that volatility and actually make some big killings. And people make big killings when the market goes down as of when the market goes up and that's a trader. And that trader is looking at all sorts of things to be able to make the right decisions. And to be honest, traders don't make, um, make big swings uh, and roundabouts unless the market is volatile. So, you yeah. know, so they want it to be volatile. That. They need it to be, not that want, they need it to be volatile to make money as an investor. Then my suggestion would be is to carve out and ask your partner or significant other that for permission to do it. If you only have to ask yourself, that's fine. But carve out a piece of money that you are happy to lose. Yeah. And therefore, if you get a big win on it, you get a big win on it. If you get a big lose on it, you get a lose on it, or you recoup because that's called speculation. And if you're not a trader. Then you should, and you want to do something because being spec, it's, it's exciting to do it. I mean, it's really exciting to do it, to watch something go in it. And if you want to do it, do it on a speculation basis, but do it in a way that you compartmentalize that. And if you have, if you lose it, you lose it. And if you win it, you win it. 
And yeah. every, every time you win it, take 10% of it out of it and put it back into your own portfolio. So it's helping you either pay down your debt, bad debt. So You've got to be willing to lose, happy to lose it. Happy to lose yeah. It's not going to cost you the world. It's like, lend, it's like lending money to a relative. You, if you're not happy to lose that money that you lend to a relative, then you really, yeah. you really shouldn't be lending it to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that you're in the property market, do you see that there's a correlation between the property market going up while the stock market goes down and vice versa? Or do you think it's, you know, they work sort of together? Yeah, I actually, I actually think that, Consumer sentiment, let's put it that way, or investor sentiment drives a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, for the property market is interest rates will mm-hmm. drive that. So there's other factors driving things. Remember, you're not borrowing to invest in the share market, yeah. but you do borrow to, you know, generally borrow to invest in, in the property market. Yeah. There's many more different um, opportunities in the property market. And I think some of it is a lag of the other, right? So if, if the stock market crashes and sentiment changes and you see things going crazy in the economy, then the property market comes. So you might see different, yeah. you know, you might see different ways, but I think they, there is a correlation between them, but I don't think the correlation is, you know, is opposite. I think that they, one affects the other in certain ways. Yeah. And that's why when you go back to having your anchor property as your home, yeah. you always know that you have equity in that yeah. home, right? So there goes that, it goes back to that worth creation thing. Yeah. Do you have any like great tips that you reckon that everyone should follow in terms of investing? Um, the greatest tip that I'm going to give you is seek out some advice to a person that, gets you, understands yeah. you, because you're the client and it's you that has to do it and they have to take the time to explain things to you, whether you're less sophisticated or more sophisticated. I, I think that you, we all have the onus uh, and we're all complicit in what happens to us. So, you know, you can't go and say, I went to this advisor and he was the best or he was the worst. You need to go in there with, mm. you know, your understanding of what you can and cannot do, the means, and you have to do some work to be able to understand that. Um, there's no magic How bullets or anything like going there. So the best you can do is do it, but reach out to somebody that you like. And to be honest, if you meet with somebody and you don't, and you don't get that good sense of things, then go to somebody else, right? Because just yeah. because your friend said, oh, this guy made a lot of money for me, doesn't mean it to get, I mean, because your, your personality is made different. You have to gel with people. You have to gel with people. Um, as a banker yeah. or as an investment advisor. So that would be my, that would be yeah. my top tip that I can do for it. Yeah. And I'm, helping, I'm happy to help you steer you in the right direction. If anybody needs any of that help, I'm happy to there for Thanks us. So no much. problem. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, horror stories or great win sort of stories when it comes to both property and shares? The, the, I, I, there's, a, there's a lot of them that, that I have. I mean, I can talk about my own. I can talk about anything. But I think that, I think, <laughs> For every horror story, man, there's a there's a there's a great story going on there. I, I think that what I'm what I'm seeing, yeah. if I go back to this transition into the real estate market versus and the relationship between um, real estate people and, and and people that you know our clients versus bankers and our clients, I think the um, the sometimes the level of discourse mm-hmm. is very different in terms of the uh, conversation that, that we have the trust that goes in there. Um, and so if there's a real horror story, it's probably because yeah. the trusted advisory relationship that you have to build between whether it's a banker or whether it's a real estate agent needs to be worked on. Um, but I, but to go to different, different yeah. very specific stories, 
I mean, wait a minute, and that that horror story might become a great story if you if you really if you're really doing it the right way. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I'll give you a story. Okay. okay. Um, I went to a house. It was probably 15 years ago, thereabouts, uh, where the owners were very proud because they had all these little pictures of horses that they owned up in the hallways, and they said that they bought the house through the winnings of one of the horses. They made about $700,000 on this one winning. And I said, yeah, and they only co-owned it. So it was only a part share. So it must've been a really, really good win because they didn't claim any of their uh, costs associated with getting the horse ready. um, Their $700,000 was actually a full, you know, it's a win. It's not actually claimable because they didn't have any taxable things against it so they just bought their family home in Hampton which is probably now worth probably two and a half mil three I don't know what it was but you know mm-hmm. on their winnings so that's another way of investing in a share situation essentially um mm-hmm. without being on the share market but you know yeah. obviously like <laughs> investing in a share in horses <laughs> it's a share in horses yeah. a lot of people do that yeah. So anyway, I thought that was a really good feel-good story that you could, you know, win in other way. Well, it's a good story. It's a feel-good story here because, you know, we Australians are lucky that we don't have to pay tax on our winnings in, um, in, 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 for gambling debt, right? For gambling, not all countries. No, no, they're not. You go to the US, they they tax you on everything. everything. Absolutely. And if I could, um, if I could make one banking, um, um, recommendations. If you have all of these properties and you and banks do things like cross securitize, so they take all of your assets and they make it one big security, right? Because you're borrowing this to borrow that. As you mature into your um, into your assets and your and your and your and the leverage and your leverage comes down, banks don't like to do this, but force them to actually uncross the collateralize your loans, and so you're not tied one into the yeah. other. You can't do it always, but you should unsecure them. And this way, if you can get one loan attached to one property, this way it's protecting you because if one property goes bad because it's in the suburb, suburb then, then, you know, then the other asset is there. Yeah. And when you're looking at kind of a diversification, you know, pop, people talk about diversification in the share market. So you might buy property, you might buy shares in, you know, tech versus telecom versus oil versus blah, 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 all that type of thing. Where when they look at the property market, they think, oh, I'm just buying property, property is property. But you can buy property in Melbourne versus buy property in Sydney versus property in, you know, up in Wollongong. So that is a form of diversification because those property markets act differently. Yeah, Yeah, it's very important. And a lot of bankers won't do it, but force your banker to do it. I used to do it all the time. And my, my credit people, the credit people would say, why are you doing this? I'm like, because this is the best thing for the client. Yeah, but we're the bank and, you know, you know, I'm like, force your banker to do it. Yeah, it's important not to even get into that position in the beginning, really. If you can, yeah. if that is the best thing. But if you can. For my, I mean, if you want to have, I'll give you one yeah, yeah. really good story. If you want one really good story, I managed a bank as a banker at Westpac. I managed, um, it was an older gentleman when I took him over, was a factory worker probably never made over $45,000 a year. He had his investments in property led to a share portfolio 
And at 67, he had $4 million in shares and he had probably seven properties, all little properties, $150,000, those yeah. types of things. And he did the cross collateralization, he did it and then unwound it all. And you don't need a big income to do these things because we're able to do these things like, you know, using equity from other cross collateralize and then go through and uncollateralize the whole thing. Yeah. So it's important to be able to know your thing. Yeah. Anyone can do it, definitely. You benefit yeah. exactly. Just takes a little bit of saving and a bit of discipline. Yeah, anyone can do it. So thanks so much, Lawrence, for giving our listeners a better understanding of how to work out what to do with investing. Okay. Lawrence can be contacted on zero four double zero six one two five four eight. Yeah, say that again. Zero four double zero six one two five four eight. Beautiful. So much going on at the moment to know which way to go. So I hope our listeners will get professional advice before investing their hard-earned cash. That's right. Next week we have Kate Hewitt again on again to talk about the quirks and complications in buying a high-rise apartment. So, so many great buyers out there in the inner city, but it would be good to be savvy about what to look for. So don't miss out. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted by Sue Langada and Grant Kennedy. We would like to thank Podbean for our hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music and Zoom for our video link. If you love this podcast and want to help us, we'd be ever so thankful if you could please subscribe, rate and review us on your favourite podcast service. We welcome any of our listeners to email us if they have any questions that would like answered in a future episode. So please send an email to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.